When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. It's a big story, and that can you... Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and I hope everyone is gearing up for a wonderful Christmas, holiday, um, and New Year. It's a very busy time for everyone I know. Joining me in just a moment is going to be Stacy Hauser, and Stacy is the co-founder and principal of Narrative Group, which is a creative agency. And later in the show, we're going to have a jam-packed um, second segment with Dr. Shalja Dixit, who's going to be joined by um, one of her clients or um, co-colleagues, I'll say, uh, Dr. Maya Moragopin, who is a reproductive endocrinologist. They're going to be talking about all things fertility and and the latest and greatest in that field. You'll also hear from Sherry Morrison, our Lifestyle Watch contributor, Uh, Carol Eggert, our Veterans and Military Affairs contributor, will be doing a segment. And then you'll see a beautiful spot from Children's Hospital later in the show as well. So now I'm very excited and honored to welcome to the show, Stacey Hauser. Hi, Sue. Hi, Stacy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on. It's wonderful to have you. I, I love your background. It, it looks like you're in the mountains or something somewhere. Yes. So um, thank you for, for the compliment. Somebody asked me recently if it was a, a fake background. So I was so honored to, but it's not, it's real. It's but, real. Um, actually, I'm in a small town about an hour and 15 minutes north of LA called Ojai. So it okay. is a bit of a mountainous, you know, kind of ranch style um, town. So yes, you're you're spot on. Uh, awesome. Are you? I'm not sure where you are. Are you experiencing that that crazy cold weather for California? I would say for California, yes. I would hardly call it crazy cold, but okay. <laughs> colder than usual. Right. But yes. Yeah. Below seventy. Below seventy, so we're having a we're having a, a chilly Christmas, I guess you could say. But yeah, yeah, that's actually nice. Yes, it's actually great. 
Now, I understand you actually grew up in the suburbs of LA, and I wonder if you could just describe for me the community that you grew up in. What was that like outside of the family? Yeah, so I I, I grew up in the suburbs of LA. Um, I grew up in a bit of an unconventional household. Um, I I say that my parents were spiritually progressive uh, for the time. Yeah. Uh, for 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 these times, these current times, I think they they were they fit in perfectly. But they were certainly ahead of their time in terms of studying with different spiritual teachers and learning about all different religions and exposing me to to that work. So I was meditating before I really you know could I was I was probably in first second grade when I learned wow. the practice of meditation. My mom was a transcendental meditation teacher. She's a Reiki master, so an energy worker. And I grew up with this community of sort of spiritual healers and teachers and leaders and would, you know, sit in on these very enlightening conversations with different teachers, you know, in California and and elsewhere as well. We would travel to see different people speak. Um, And so it was just sort of a part of my life. I didn't know any different. I didn't realize that that wasn't how everybody's household was until you know, later on about sixth grade, people would would tell me that my mom was a witch um, and say, well, I don't know, is your mom going to do something, put a spell on us? She's a witch because we always had crystals and, you know, sage and all the things that you find the, you know, today in these kind of novelty shops or, you know, aren't too uncommon. People give as gifts. And I think people understand the power of these things a little bit more Mm -hmm. than perhaps, you know, when I was was young, but um, yeah, it was certainly unconventional, particularly for even though California itself was very progressive, the suburbs that I lived in, it, it wasn't you know the norm to have people coming in and in and out of your house during meditations and things like that. So yeah, it was quite it sounds, special. It sounds really wonderful because it sounds like a very calming environment. And I'm I'm curious how you feel about today. There's a lot of talk about incorporating yoga into school for young kids and the meditation, you know, are, are you seeing that? And do you feel it's, it would be beneficial? You know, a hundred percent, I feel it would be beneficial. I think so much of my foundation as a woman, as a mom, as a businesswoman really was set by me having this place to come back to it within myself. And I mm-hmm. think that is, a a tool for life that cannot be underestimated, both for, you know, for children and adults, Um, and certainly to learn it at such a young age. And it's like a muscle that you're working and flexing. So to have the, you know, the good fortune to learn how to flex that muscle early on, it saved me from, I, I believe, a tremendous amount of grief and hardship because you know, it, I had those tools during hard times, teenage years, figuring out my career, you know, first jobs where I always had that place to come back to and sort of get clear, so to speak, and and really be able to see things through a, as much of a mindful, clear eye as possible. How so, would you, yeah. How, yeah, how would, Stacey, how would you describe that? As you're talking, I'm thinking it allows you to be centered. and And my feeling is, when you are, then that leads to a self-awareness. And I, I think you and I spoke before, yeah. you know, in our introductory call about the importance of that. I think it's 
it's so important for all of us to be self-aware because then we can cope with the things that come our way. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, one of the most valuable um, ways I've heard this described by a teacher of mine, a, a spiritual teacher, is that your mind is like a computer, right? And your mind is programmed to look for certain things and feel certain things. And often if you're not mindful and present, the computer just defaults to a loop. So you have these thoughts that you're thinking, whether they're anxious thoughts or, um, you know, whether you're worried or stressed or happy or, you know, you, you don't even realize how powerful your mind is and that you have all these default settings. And so it's sort of like, you know, wild horses, if you will, just running. Mm -hmm. And meditation and mindfulness and the practice of that, I think, allows you to be really conscious of those loops and either approve those to, to be on loop because you've mindfully chosen that or to stop that cycle of anxiousness, panic, and to be able to be really clear and choose the thoughts that you're thinking. Because I, I think we don't even realize the majority of our thoughts, we're not choosing to think during you know, the day. We're just sort of on autopilot. Yes. And our brain is programmed to look for certain things. So, you know, I think people talk a lot about manifesting and um, talk about the things that can feel a little bit woo-woo and spiritual. And, you know, either you're really into it or you're like, oh, manifesting, that's not real. But really what manifesting is, is just harnessing your own power and telling your brain to look for certain things. So I think it's really about like being in the driver's seat is how I sort of think of it, of, mm -hmm. of your day. And when you've told yourself, you know, I really want to change jobs and I feel like I want to be more in X, Y, Z industry, then it's no secret or it's no, it's no accident, I guess, that maybe you go to a party and you happen to talk to somebody who then says, oh, I know somebody and introduces you. And did you manifest that or did you just tell your brain by being mindful and present, this is what I want out of my next job. This is my plan. This is my intention. And then that showed up for you because your brain was programmed to look for that. Sort of like when you, when you are shopping for a car and then suddenly everywhere on the road, you see that car. It's yeah. not that more of those cars. It's just that you've told your brain to look for that car because you're present and conscious and, and thinking about that car. So I like to sort of, you know, obviously I'm very spiritual, but I like to also think of it in a more scientific way um, and, and really, you know, when I explain it to people, explain it in a way that actually, you know, is science and does make sense that you are constantly telling your brain what to look for. I also think it's smart to, to want to be able to do that. In other words, it's very much related to EQ, right? So your ability to recognize and not be thinking about the past or the future. I think we're constantly in this struggle of thinking of the past, the regrets, what happened, you know, or the future, the worry, what's happening, and really takes us away from the, the present where we make our decisions, right? So for all the people that think it's just woo-woo and silly, it's very intellectually bright to want to be able to stay there. And So how often would you say in your day throughout your profession, are you in that space? And how, how often do you get kind of pulled into the noise? Yeah, well... 
I often get pulled into the noise. I think as we all do, um, balancing and juggling a lot of different parts of our life as, as most women are. Um, I have a pretty strong practice, meditation practice. So I usually start my days in meditation and, you know, it's anywhere from whatever I can get in, you know, 10 minutes to 20 minutes, which sort of sets my tone. Um, and if I don't get that meditation in, I, uh, I, I try to figure out a way to squeeze it in somewhere during the day. And I sort of equate it to being in a, a room that's messy. When you're trying to start a project in a messy room, it's overwhelming. Yes. And so it's just kind of cleaning the space and getting clear. But because, like I said, it's a muscle, um, I, I feel like, you know, I'm really able to access that very often. When I start to feel myself go on a spin or get down the rabbit hole of anxiousness or worry or thinking a million reasons why something isn't going to happen, mm -hmm. I can really go to that place. And, mm -hmm. and so that's super helpful. Yeah. Um, I want to share this quote. You said, I've always taken a long view on my life and knew I wanted to be in a position to make my own rules around work-life balance. Um, and I would imagine too that, that you were thinking, I, I, I want to be in control and I want to be an entrepreneur, right? I want to create my own life and have um, the ability to, to be making decisions. How much did that mindset guide you out of school? In other words, your direction for college and what you were going to do landing jobs? Well, that, you know, when I hear that, I know I said that, but when I hear you say it, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I, I felt that way from such a young age. And I always saw constructs, corporate constructs or, you know, education constructs as a bit limiting. And so from a very young age, I always knew that I wanted to chart a new way for myself and for others as well. Mm. Um, you know, an, an, a bit of a non-traditional way of thinking about work. Um, and so it very much guided all of my, my internship decisions, my jobs, my, you know, the way I, I sort of did my education. So as long as I can remember. Yeah. And what were your interests? So were they always in the creative realm? Um, you know, no. Um, I, at one point, I, I also am very interested in health and wellness. So at one point I thought maybe I would go down the route of, you know, maybe something in the sciences. But, um, you know, as I got into the, into the internship phase of my life, I just really resonated with um, design and fashion. I, I went to fashion school ultimately. So, um, you know, as I sort of tried things out, I, I, I knew that being in something creative was definitely the place for me. While I respect and love science, it really wasn't a place that I thrived. <laughs> so uh -huh. I knew, you know, I knew pretty early on, even though I was interested in it, it might not be for me as a career. But um, yeah, I sort of had both sides of my brain, the, the science side and then the creative side and certainly the creative side won over in terms of career. Yeah, I think so much about how well, first of all, I think there's been major change in every industry with, with technology, but there's also been a major shift and pivot in every industry since COVID. And yeah. when we come back from the break, I want, I want to talk to you a little bit about how, you know, what's been different for you as that, you know, running this creative agency um, that's been difficult since COVID. And of course, sure. the virtual 
you know, um, jobs, et cetera. So think about that and we'll, we'll pick it up there when we come back. Right. Stay with us. You're watching Women to Watch. I'm with Stacey Hauser of The Narrative Group and we'll be right back. We are CHOP and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, we have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on that can you... Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, welcome back to the show. This week I'm speaking with Stacy Hauser, the co-founder and principal of The Narrative Group, um, which is an award-winning creative agency based in California. And... Um, you know, I was thinking about, first of all, two questions I have for you. 15 years of, of leading, you know, an agency with, with great success. I'm curious, you know, what sets you apart from others and how has it changed in those 15 years? How has communications specifically um, changed in, in a big way? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> well, to the first part of your question, 
Um, we are women-led, or we're women-founded, women-led. Um, our whole leadership team, with the exception of one, is are all women. So I have a co-founder who is a woman. So mm -hmm. I think what sets us apart um, is our culture. And again, going back to kind of getting out of, of traditional constructs and ways of working, I think we've had a really empathetic culture from the beginning. I know that's a lot more popular to talk about these days, but you know, 15 years ago, it was a completely different landscape in terms of the working world and, and corporate life. Um, my co-founder and I, we were not, we were not mothers, we were not um, wives yet. So we were young and and you know in 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 our, in our careers as well and founding this agency and bringing on employees. Um, we chose very early on to have a culture that supported mothers supported um, other interests other than than just working at our company. So very early on, we were a big, big proponents of having people do things on the side and keep kind of their interests. And and I think there was a, in, in, in the corporate culture at the time, it was very much like you work for us, you spend all your time here, you know, we get we get everything out of you. And we always wanted to create a place where we had well-rounded, interesting, well-rested, happy employees. And so that's just been such a part of, of who we are at from, for, you know, for so long that I think our, our company culture really sets us apart in, especially in the agency world, which can be quite a grind. Um, yes. Demand. Yeah. Right. I have my daughters in that space. So I know the hours sometimes. Yeah. The hours in the evening. Yeah. Late into the yeah. evening holidays and, you know, you're really always sort of at the at the mercy of your clients, right? So as much as we want to create a great culture, we also have clients that we answer to. So, you know, we, we wanted to sort of balance that out by by creating a place where people felt seen and heard and supported in whatever phase of life they were in, whether that was right out of college or whether that was, you know, having older children that were going away to college. And that's every phase kind of has its own, own needs. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, You're saying, I, you know, I know. Sorry. it's okay, but it just makes me laugh because it's so, um, representative of, of your life. Yes, and I'm so sorry. I'm trying to notifications coming in. You'll have a lot to catch up on when we're done. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to, to get the ding off and it's, it's everything I, I turn off, it like pops back on somewhere else. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's, like a, it's, wow. okay. it's okay. <laughs> we'll go with the flow. Okay. Great. Sorry about that. Um, and then to answer the second part of your question uh, in terms of how has, has communication changed, I mean, I feel like it's changing every six months. Uh, you know, there's just so much uh, with social and everything being digitally led and, you know, people being able to directly comment um, in real time and everyone can see it. I mean, there's just so many things that personalities and companies and brands need to think about when mm. they... Are out put something out into the world where it, this the cycle was a lot slower when we when we started. So I think you you were able to be a lot more thoughtful about how to react to things and prepare statements. And now it's just it moves at the the pace of light. So you kind of have to think everything through as much as you can ahead of time, and you know be really ready, and then also be really ready to apologize and say, you know, we want to pivot. And I think 
the consumer is a lot more um, open to that and used to that because things are moving so quickly. But um, there's certainly a lot to consider for for personalities and brands or public figures of any any kind because it is so democratized. You know, people being able to say their opinion, which I think is is good and bad. You know, so it yeah. comes with pros and cons, and um, you know, we've had to to change with that. Yeah. Would you say, you know, I think it, that makes it hard again, the, the, um, the speed of, of information and even news in the news cycle. So yeah. is that something you're good at? Do you think quickly, you know, oh, yeah. you process language quickly and communications? Yes. Um, I personally, I think it's a huge strength of, of my mind. And I think also the way um, to work in this industry, to be on the forefront of, on behalf of a brand, a personality, um, you know, uh, whatever it may be, you really have to be able to think on your feet. And not only for the, for whoever or the person or brand you're representing, but also be scanning the landscape at all times to kind of see what you're up against and what other people are saying and, you know, what the temperature on that topic is. So, Luckily, now there's tools and things to help us with that, to measure sentiment and to kind of understand what's bubbling up, which oh, I think wow. is, is also a huge, um, you know, it, oh my God, I'm so sorry, um, <laughs> a huge innovation um, here in, in just with having tool, social and digital tools to be able to scan, um, you know, kind of all the, the news outlets and social. Um, but yeah, it's certainly... If you're not able to think on your feet and you get flustered, it's not the it's not the the profession for you. Yeah, well, I would imagine your upbringing is tied directly to that and your ability to just okay, this isn't going in the direction we had planned, so we're gonna you know we're gonna go in a different direction and not kind of get emotional and and flustered. Um, you know, one of your greatest accomplishments and um, success stories is is you now have a parent company. You sold the company um, to another. Tell me, when did did that happen recently? So we sold in 2017, okay. um, and we were in a contract and earnout for for anyone who knows how acquisitions in an earnout work. But usually in a service business, you're in some kind of contract for at least, you know, three years on the low end to five years, um, just so that, you know, because you are the company, you know, your people are buying what you're selling, so to speak. And so, um, you know, just to make sure that everything was secure and there was a succession plan for myself and and my co-founder, which we're both still at our company and running our company, but Mm -hmm. we don't own it anymore. It's now fully owned by a parent company, which has been a fantastic thing for us to go through. And being a woman selling, selling my business was um, something that, you know, I feel incredible, incredibly proud of. And it was a huge accomplishment. Yeah. It must've been bittersweet because you build and build and build and create, and it's your baby. And then someone else owns it. It must feel strange. Yes. You know, the thing that feels strange is that I think more so even than somebody else owning it is that I, when I hear somebody talking about our company and they don't know that I'm associated with it, which has happened because in our industry, you know, it's a small industry. So to hear somebody talk about something that I created that's out there in the world and not knowing that I created it and just to hear that it's like its own living thing that doesn't Mm -hmm. need my, you know, 
Because for so long, when we were building it, it's like a baby. It needs you to feed it and to grow it. And now that it's kind of on its own and it's and it's living and breathing and it, you know, obviously I believe that me being there makes it better, but I could leave and, and it would be just fine. That's very, um, that's very strange. It must also, I have a seven-year-old daughter, so it must also be what it feels like to have a child, like leave the house. Yes. And, you know, that I kind of feel like oh, it's so, so hard. <laughs> so proud. I'm sure that the, the pride and you want that. You always yes. want to, you raised them for that, but then you're like, oh, come back. I want you yes. to be back in the house and my baby. And so, yeah, there's kind of like a funny relationship in that way. Yeah, that's hard. Um, I do want to talk to you about, you know, motherhood, but I wanted to ask, I was curious, you've worked with, you know, big, big brands, big companies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there one that you haven't had an opportunity to work with that you always wished you could? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, not really. There's not anybody out there anymore. I mean, for a long time, certainly there was kind of my wish list. And, and mm -hmm. I have to say we've worked either directly or indirectly in a partnership with most of the companies that I've um, felt really excited or passionate to work with. I mean, there's so many amazing companies out there that we, I, we would be thrilled to, to, to work with, but there's not really one that I have on my list um, currently that feels like the big get. Um, I think the women's health space is a really interesting one. Mm -hmm. And I like that space a lot. I think there's a lot of, um, innovation and um, disruption, much needed change kind of happening mm. in that space. And um, I am excited about the space, but not necessarily one one particular company. Or I know that you're very invested in, you know, women-led companies and you're investing yourself. Um, it's interesting, later in the show, one of our partners is Curio Digital Therapeutics, and we're going to have a segment with, with Dr. Shalja Dixit, the founder. Um, is there, did you want to talk about a company that you're investing in that, you know, perhaps you're proud of, or there's something yeah. exciting happening? Well, um, it's not quite launched yet. So okay. soon to be launched, um, healthcare app for, mm. um, uh, women's sort of health education. And there, it's been out, um, in a different, in, in real life pre COVID it's called loom loomhq.com. Um, okay. there's, there's a sign up for it that, you know, you can get on the waiting list to get updates, but, um, you know, I, can't say too much about it, but what I will say is that I think health education for women is such a um, important, important uh, topic. And I think women being more literate about your body and your healthcare produces tremendously better outcomes. And I think there's a, a tremendous amount of research, research to show that often women's needs are or historically have taken a backseat to, um, you know, maybe the general population, which was men. And so I think, um, you know, the space is, is, is something that I feel very passionate about. And I'm very excited because I know about several other companies that are about to launch in 2023 and, and, and beyond, um, where I think we're really going to close the, the information gap, at least in terms of um, providing women with more tools when they see their doctor or to diagnose, you know, to diagnose or to, to just know to what to ask for. Questions. Yeah, exactly. Right questions. Absolutely. And, you know, we both know that women's health is, is health for the planet. 
<laughs> right? Absolutely. I mean, it really is. Um, and, and I do want to talk to you, you, you mentioned your daughter and as a mom of a, of a girl, young girl, I, I want to know how you feel we, we are today with, um, I think, even in what you just discussed, women's health and education, there's a lot of resources and support out there for, for young girls today. We're talking openly about um, the fact that, you know, girls can and should be anything they want to be in this world. Um, I want to ask you, what do you worry most about when, as a mother raising your daughter that's out there in the world? And what are you most hopeful for because of the steps and strides we've made? You know, what I am most worried about um, is social media. Oh, mm. Mm. it is such a tricky one. You know, my daughter's seven and <clears throat> she is not obviously on social media. Um or it doesn't have any uh, screens or, you know, devices. She's too little. So, Good. Um, Good. you know, we are, my husband and I are very aligned on, um, we live in, a, in sort of a kind of hippie town and she goes to a very progressive school where there's a lot of outdoor education, um, very much back to nature and mm -hmm. things like that. So those are, are things that just based on my beliefs about, being on this planet and, you know, us being just a part of nature, I, I think those things are very important to me. And I think there's nothing that disconnects us more from that than this, which is, you know, double-edged sword, because it does allow us to connect with people in a different way. But right. in terms yeah. of connecting with ourself, um, so much noise about what other people are doing in comparison and, you know, sort of people presenting things that aren't necessarily real and not having the emotional maturity to, to understand that. So I think social media can be really problematic at, you know, for young, young women. Um, and I'm hoping by the time she gets a little bit older, there may be kind of a movement, uh, you know, in the other direction. I'm seeing that with, with yes. this younger generation that they're sort of not wanting to be attached to a phone or yes. be accessible yes. or, you know, put their whole life out there. So I'm hoping that um, we trend in that direction because, again, she's seven, so I have the ability to pull strings now. But I know, you know, as the years go on, um, she'll want to make her own decisions, and it might be a little bit more of a of a headbutt on on that. So yeah, social media really worries me. Um, and what I'm the most excited and optimistic about is um, this younger generation seems to have a whole different level of commitment to cause. Yes. So I, I really am hopeful that it's a lot more about the greater good and a lot less of like the me, me, me that we've seen mm -hmm. in previous generations. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really hopeful. I think we're heading into a time when this, these younger people are going to make a lot of change. And I'm really excited about that. And I really hope my daughter is is a part of that. And oh, you know, I'm sure she will be. She, I mean, she's going to get that from you. I mean, you're teaching her by example in everything that you do. Right. Um, I'm. My guess is when you you're working with clients, there's what's today that was not years ago is is this corporate social responsibility. So companies are they really have to have a cause, find something that's important to them as a company um, that where they want to give back rather mm -hmm. than just the bottom line of their products. And 
do you enjoy that part of it when you're trying to help a company put that out there, get the right messaging, promote it? Yeah, I love. I, I mean, I love that that piece so much. And I think, as you mentioned, you're completely right. It's sort of become a non-negotiable. Like it used mm-hmm. to be, you know, let's do let's let's pull in a charity or let's donate ten percent and say we did. And you know, it was more for the box check as yes. opposed to really figuring out what is in the DNA of a of a company. Yes, in terms of what makes sense for them and. Um, what they can really do as far as change. And so I think that's exciting because, you know, I, I think we all very much recall the summer of 2020 where there was a big shift in the world and people, as I mentioned earlier, with social have the ability to call you out, so to speak, very publicly. So something we work on with our clients is doing a, a lot of um, kind of exercises around if we say we're going to do something or we say we've done something, we better make sure that any layer that anyone pulls back, that it's not exposing that we're over inflating what we've done, or maybe Mm. we've done 2% of that mission, but we're trying to say we've done more. So, you know, just really being transparent and, um, and, and deciding if it is your place to speak on something. Cause I think everyone's reaction at first when we had this sort of big, kind of shift, cultural shift was to comment on it and to say, well, we stand with so-and-so, but then it really became, well, do you really? And can you back that up? And so I think it's an exciting time. Yeah. And not only that, as you said, really find the right cause cause for you. Don't just pick one to say you did. Um, There really is a way that you can have impact and and it's the right way to do it. We just have a minute left. And I would love for you to leave our viewers with, um, I just love your groundedness and your outlook um, and your optimism. And so for the women that are watching that perhaps are struggling in some way in their career, just leave them with, you know, a bit of advice, something they can walk away with. Yes, I would say it is never too late to make a change. Every single moment is an opportunity. And my best advice is to find some kind of practice that allows you to have something you do every single day to come back to yourself. And by doing that and developing that relationship with checking in with yourself and getting clear, even if it's just for two minutes every single day, it will stack and you will be amazed at what that clarity brings into your life. So I would say find a practice that really serves you and and commit. Commit to yourself, even if it's just for two minutes a day. Yeah, I would say it'll change their life completely. Okay, that right? I will, and I will, I will second that. Yeah, it will. Listen, I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to join me today, and I wish you very much continued success, and hope you'll stay in touch. I love your podcast, and I Thank absolutely you. will stay in touch. Happy holidays. Same to you, Stacy. Thank you so much. Bye. Up next, we'll hear from Dr. Shalja Dixit. Stay tuned. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC stream. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true, whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for her. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm very honored to have with me this week, Dr. Shalja Dixit, CEO of Curio Digital Therapeutics. And with her is a colleague, Dr. Gaia Muir, Mur, excuse me, Muryugopin. Muryugopin. Did I say that right? I, I don't think you have your um, sound on, Gaia. One sec here. There we go. We can, can hear you hear me now? Yes. Yes. So welcome to the show. It's, it's great to have you both. Um, Dr. Gaia is a reproductive endocrinologist. And um, I thought we should just take a moment to have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work. 
Sure. Hi, everyone. Nice to meet you. Um, I'm Dr. Gaia Muragopan. I'm a specialist in reproductive endocrinology and infertility. I work at Spring Fertility in Silicon Valley. Um, I, you know, I feel so fortunate. My job um, as a fertility doctor, you know, enables me to empower women to understand their biology, understand what is female fertility. And, you know, I, I get to help women exercise reproductive autonomy, uh, which I think is so amazing. Um, women's health in general, I think, has been really sort of historically neglected compared to other areas of medicine. And I've been really fortunate to participate in clinical as well as, uh, you know, research initiatives to provide women better care. Wonderful. And Shalja, I thought maybe you could, how did the two of you connect? Yeah, thank you, Sue, for inviting us back again, first of all. And <laughs> thanks, uh, Gaia, for joining. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as you know, Sue, uh, our company, Curio Digital Therapeutics, focuses on women's mental health. And, uh, you know, last time we have talked uh, about postpartum depression. Another very big area is actually fertility-related anxiety and mood disorders. So as we were looking at this next area, a very important area for women's life and empowering them and the tools that we were creating, we were looking at the experts who are working in this area. And that's how we were introduced to Dr. Gaia. And we are very fortunate that as we are developing the support for emotional journey, we are working with her to understand the journey of the woman as, as they are thinking about uh, the fertility treatment and what are the obstacles, challenges they face and how a tool or a company like us can help patients, but more importantly, even providers, because I'm sure Gaia will talk about, you know, how the burnout and uh, other aspects are also a challenge. So we have a dual um, goal, uh, support patients but and empower women, but also support providers like um, Dr. Gaia here uh, to give them the right tool, uh, you know, to, to run their practice and something so important in women's life. Yes, there's such a direct correlation between women going through fertility and their mental um, well-being. Gaia, can you talk about the current state of, of fertility and, and yeah. what's happening? Absolutely. Fertility treatment, um, I mean, I'm obviously biased is what I do, but I think it's really fascinating because, you know, sort of the arc of development of the field has been tremendous compared to many other um, sort of uh, medical specialties. Um, the first IVF baby was born in 1978. Um, and the subsequent decades um, have really seen some really incredible advances, uh, mostly in the IVF laboratory, um, in our ability to fertilize eggs with sperm and then freeze uh, both eggs and embryos, as well as performing genetic testing of embryos before they're implanted in a woman's body. Um, the other really amazing thing we've been able to do is something called fertility preservation, uh, which is uh, can be done for both medically indicated reasons as well as elective or planned egg freezing for women who are choosing to delay childbearing. It's no longer considered experimental and has significantly increased in utilization in just the last decade, which has been really fun to see. Uh, when I was first training, egg freezing was actually experimental. Um, so just in the short course of sort of my career, it's changed a lot. Um, and, you know, I think 
you know, while fertility treatment has made it possible for us to create families in ways that really previously were not even imaginable, I think things that are coming to the forefront now are sort of topics of thought and consideration. Um, a lot of those are sort of legal and ethical concerns that are making their way to the forefront of the field. So in light of our current political climate, we find that there's actually very few laws that govern or protect patients who are pursuing fertility treatment. There's also ethical concerns that arise sort of hand in hand with what we do, for example, concerning the anonymity of somebody who's donating eggs or sperm to a couple. Um, and whether that really can be protected in this era that we are in of direct-to-consumer genetic testing. And I think, you know, the biggest area of focus for us as a community, as a field, um, is certainly addressing disparities in access to effective treatment for infertility. So in the U.S. and worldwide, 15 percent of all couples are infertile. So all of us know somebody who is struggling with this. Um, and a male factor actually contributes in up to half of cases. Um, so despite you know, this incredible prevalence of infertility, current estimates are that only about 20 to 30% of couples who are infertile are actually receiving treatment. So the bottom line is for individuals and couples who are unable to conceive, this is honestly, it's a health and it's a life crisis. Um, and infertility has really far reaching effects um, for a, a, a person, a, a family, a community, um, can cause an individual to be ostracized or stigmatized um, and has a significant impact on mental health. How, how would you say, what are you seeing the effect is on the partner? In, in the couple's situation. Yeah, so interesting. So, you know, I think um, we, we put most of the focus on the woman because, of course, you know, it's not fair, but the woman in a, in a heterosexual couple is, you know, bearing the burden of the physical aspect of the fertility treatment. Um, but men bear a very significant portion of the emotional burden um, that a couple is going to go through. Um, for men, we know that um, infertility is associated with increased risks of stress and depression. And these increase um, over time as their infertility and treatment progresses. It's also very strongly correlated with sexual dysfunction, um, which sort of is a sort of a vicious cycle into sort of also worsening mental health. And what's what's challenging with with a lot of men is they tend to cope through avoidance, um, which makes them a little bit more difficult to access. Um, and, you know, this sort of avoidant behavior has also been consistently associated with poorer adjustment to infertility and infertility treatment. And the last, like, really, I think, important thing to talk about is that over half of couples who are infertile report significant marital and relationship stress during the course of their diagnosis and treatment. I think this is a really big unmet need for us to be providing support. Um, I guess this question would be for you, Shalja. What are the digital health tools available for um, both couples and, and a woman going through um, fertility issues? Yeah, so I think, you know, as Gaia said, it's a complex journey and, and a long one too, right? So uh, there, are, there are two aspects. While experts like Gaia, they are helping and uh, 
you know, them navigate through the journey. But obviously, a patient is not right in front of physician all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's where digital tools can play a very big role. Uh, you know, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Aya, what we have seen when we were interviewing some of the patients, let's say a cycle failure happens mm -hmm. at middle of the night, they need some kind of support. Okay, what happens now? Uh, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of things have been explained to them, I'm sure, uh, mm -hmm. when they, but at that moment, you know, you can just imagine it's like, everything has come fallen down, right? And that's where uh, clinically validated tools uh, or scientifically validated tools like digital can help them provide that resource as well as emotional support when they are not in front of their physician or they don't have the luxury to just pick up the phone and uh, call the clinic. Uh, so I, I feel that digital tools can be that fabric and connector that can not just strengthen that relationship, but provide the educational, emotional support, uh, you know, why in between care, you know, augment the support that is being provided by the clinic and play a very important role. I think in one condition more than any, fertility is one area where digital tools can play a very important role working along with, we never look at digital as in any shape or form replacement to the care today. These are meant for augmentation and strengthening the relationship between the care team and the provider uh, and the patient itself. So that's where I feel that digital plays a really big role. And educating the partner, we talked about this male factor, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing. I'm, I, I'm oftentimes, you know, a male member is the one who's, or, or partner is the one who's not coming to the clinic all the time. So this is also a very good tool to provide education to them that how do they do deal with this entire situation. Um, how are women finding out about these digital tools? I mean, are doctors, you know, very much participating in what you're doing and sharing this information um, with their patients? And, and Guy, I guess that's a question for you. Yeah, that's very much the goal. And we're, you know, working together, honestly, to start sort of implementing these tools in our clinic. I imagine there can also be sort of some direct to patient um, marketing. And yeah, I, I agree with that. So that that's exactly, you know, but I would put that first one that Gaia said as as a top priority, which is coming from the provider, because at that moment, when woman is going through her journey, you know, the mm -hmm. person they trust the most is actually their provider, right? Yes. And we are there to support their trusted partner, which is which is the physician here, right? So uh, I, I, we would like more and more women to know about it from the provider practice perspective. And yes, definitely, there's always a role for direct to consumer as well. But in, even in that situation, we would like them to go back and talk to their provider about this. That's mm -hmm. really important for us in our model, strengthening the ecosystem and relationship as it, as it exists today. Yes. Um, we're just about at the end of the segment. Guy, I'd love to give you the opportunity if there's a woman watching and she is about to go through the journey, what would you uh, leave her with? You know, I think I would say just be kind to yourself. You know, I think as women, we are just so quick to blame ourselves um, for whatever circumstances lead you to walk into my office or anyone's office in my shoes. And I would just please beg of you to be kind, give yourself grace and kindness and patience. Very, very nice. And um, I, I hope you'll come back and perhaps when there's some exciting news and updates within the fertility field, um, you can come back and share that with us. 
would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Shalja, thank you for, for bringing Gaia to us this week. Thank you so much. And thanks, Sue, for again, throwing light on such important topics. Really appreciate it. And thanks, Gaia. My really pleasure. Thank you for having me. Happy yeah. to do it. Yeah. When we come back, I'll be closing out the show. Stay with us. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC streaming app. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Annie Allman, General Manager and CEO of the Reading Terminal Market Corporation. Welcome to the show, Annie. Thank you, Sherry. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you here. You have quite a position here in Philadelphia. I would say you're probably one of the most important people. Uh, the Reading Terminal Market is one, if not the top destination, according to Visit Philly. In 2018, 7.7 million people visited the market. This is quite an undertaking to be the general manager and CEO. Annie, please tell us a little bit about your family background and education. Oh, sure. Well, thanks, Sherry. So I kind of had a unique background. I grew up in a small town in Alaska. I'm very proud that I'm a third generation Alaskan. Um, my family were commercial fishermen, um, which... Uh, it's kind of an unusual uh, background, I guess, to be here in Philadelphia. Um, I came down to Philly uh, originally to go to school. I went to the University of Pennsylvania. 
uh, met my husband, Lee, uh, who's a lifelong Philadelphian, and those these Philly boys do not move. So here I am. <laughs> That's a, I can only imagine what's going on in the household right now with the Eagles and crazy. The, the Phillies yeah. and everything else. They get a little crazy, this. They get a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned to me that you thought that you wanted to be a veterinarian, and you graduated from Penn, not as a veterinarian, but still had a love for animals. What sparked your interest in horses and, and what happened after graduation that enabled you to be a part of the horse world? Yeah, sure. Great question. So, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I My brothers all grew up out on the water and all I wanted to do was be on a horse surrounded by grass. So I had to leave Alaska for that. Um, and when I started college many years ago, um, I had this passion for horse racing. Someone had taken me to a thoroughbred track as a kid and I just loved it. Um, and at the time, I thought the only job you could have on the racetrack is to be a veterinarian. But uh, after failing uh, or almost failing organic chemistry, except for a professor who loved to go to the races with me, um, graduated from Penn. But I met, I was fortunate enough to meet a gentleman named Bob Levy um, and he and his family, um, Mr. and Mrs. Levy, were very prominent in the thoroughbred breeding and racing world. And I was fortunate to go to work for them and spent five years um, on a circuit from a breeding farm in Maryland to the racetrack in Atlantic City and down at a training center in South Carolina. That's quite quite a circle and loop that you did there. Um, and so you really got into the, the circuit with the horses, but then from there you moved on another step into another circuit that's somewhat connected. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I, I got to a point in the horses where I realized that um, my talent did not equal my passion. <laughs> and uh, I was never going to be, um, you know, it was great, but it probably wasn't a long time uh, career for me. So uh, I had a friend from Penn who encouraged me to look, take a look at business school. So I, I did an MBA program um, at the tech school at Dartmouth, uh, which was a fabulous experience. Um, I, I just seemed to always want to be the fish out of water, I guess. I was the sort of token English major. Um, and when I got out of, of, of the program, I really did not want to go into a typical corporate environment. I did management consulting for a little bit, but I was really, I'd intended to go into racetrack management and just didn't really see a, a great future there. And so I, I looked at casinos at the time were buying up a lot of racetracks uh, and so I, I started working in the casino business at Harris Entertainment um, and it's been a fast, it was a fascinating career, uh, it took me to a lot of different places and met a lot of different people. Yeah. And, and you said that after you were there for a number of years, uh, a few CEOs from other casinos had um, asked you to come on board to help them open new projects and get things operating. Uh, kudos to you. That's an amazing accomplishment. And dare I say, especially for a woman, uh, what is your favorite part of all of these roles? Gosh, I think, you know, I like building things and I like fixing things. Um, so in some sense, it's it sometimes it's physical building. So I, I can go past a resort or a casino or a racetrack that I had a hand in creating. And, and that's a great source of pride. But really, it's more about people and the teams I've built and the careers that I've seen develop. Um, and, and that's super meaningful. And it's great to hear from people who 
you know, maybe I worked with them 20 years ago at this point, um, but I've seen, you know, I can think of a few. They started as young, just out of college. Um, and now in one case, uh, the person I'm thinking of is running one of the uh, best known brands in sports betting. Um, or another um, person I met at a job fair who uh, was a vet, a veteran looking to kind of transition into construction and facilities. And um, that individual is now, um, you know, leading the facilities and construction at a internationally known racetrack. And uh, it's just great to see how their families um, grow through that process. And so that's probably um, the most meaningful to me. Yeah. Yeah, you sound like you're the queen of operations. Yeah. <laughs> okay, get your toilets and trash cans right, and everything else falls into place. <laughs> I understand that completely. <laughs> so how did the whole Reading Terminal Market opportunity come about? Sure, it was, it, it was kind of a fluke, really. I, I had come home from um, opening a resort or being part of an opening team in Boston, and but my family had always stayed in the Philadelphia area. Um, and I had come home and for once wasn't on a project, uh, was home during COVID. Um, and I, I read an article in the, I think it was in the Philadelphia Business Journal that uh, the general, current general manager had left uh, and talked about those kind of struggles that the market was going through at the height of the pandemic. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. Um, and I'd really like to have a job that I was in Philadelphia instead of traveling all the time um, and reached out to some folks, did some research of who was who was involved with it and reached out and I probably should have asked a few more questions. Uh, but five weeks later, I was here at the market. <laughs> well, good timing, I guess. And I and I'm sure they really needed somebody. It, what a terrible time. You started the beginning of COVID. This was like difficult for not just the Reading Terminal Market, but every vendor or every merchant that's there. Um, especially the, the food and hospitality industry, most of these merchants have been locals and they've been in the market for a really long time. They're fighting for everything they have. Mm -hmm. So there were so many things for you to focus on to keep the market and the businesses going. It, it was confusing. There were mixed messages being mm -hmm. sent out to the public. You know, the world thinks everything is shut down and the market and its merchants are essential, so it's open. Mm -hmm. um, and people just didn't realize it. And the other thing they don't realize is that the Reading Terminal Market is a nonprofit. So most of the staff was let go. How do you how do you keep up morale? What are the, the key things you focus on to keep the market going? You know, I think when I first got here, I mean, first of all, we have incredible merchants, right? They are small, family owned. They're very passionate about their business. In some cases, they've been here generations. In other cases, this is is new. We have folks who literally had just launched their business, put their entire life savings into something only a few months before COVID hit. Um, so I think um, I think really just coming in with a, a very clear point of view of what needed to be done in the short and medium term um, to get the market. You know, I, I was I'm all about uh, cleanliness, safety, and accessibility. Um, very simple basics that we needed to nail. And then um, to just get that message out there that we're open and a consistent message. You know, we're open, we're open seven days a week, we're here to serve you. Um, and the, 
to show that, get some excitement and fun back into the market. So we had a lot of fun last year with our holiday decor and our holiday music, and we're doing that again this year. And then bringing in new merchants, um, because you always, we had some really exciting new merchants we brought in. Um, and then just following through, you know, there's been a lot of, there had been a, a plan on the books for years to redevelop Filbert Street. And just, you know, once I met the merchants and I saw how passionate they were and how involved our board is and how important the Reading Terminal Market is to so many people, I think that gave us all the, the confidence to just move forward, that somehow we'll figure it out, somehow we'll find the money, but we have to continue to move forward. I had mentioned to you that my father's business was right across the street. So, you know, he would either take the train or drive in, but it, it was not unusual for him to go to the market two or three times a week mm -hmm. and pick up something. And the really special occasions were the special ice creams from Bassett's and the stories he would tell about sitting at the counter and them sliding down the Sunday cup or, you know, glass Mm -hmm. um, container and um, it would stop right in front of the customer that ordered it. It was it was a real skill for the people who used to dip the ice cream and make the sundaes. But yeah, it was very important for our family. Um, and Mrs. Bassett, I actually had renovated the Gwinnett Valley train station back in 1989. And Mrs. Bassett was one of my first customers. They lived right around the corner. And the first thing she did when she walked in, I didn't know who she was. I knew her daughter, Anne. Um, she walked in and she said, do you carry Bassett's ice cream? And I said, well, yes, we do. And she said, what are you packing it in? <laughs> like, it's like, okay. Right. Are you treating the product right? Yeah. So yeah. she said, I'll be out on this time on the train. Please have it packed up for me in a cup um, for me to pick up and take home with me. So we did. Um, nice. But I got to know the Bassett's pretty well. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, how different is it to manage the, the Reading Terminal Market versus management at the casinos and Comcast? So, you know, it's, we are a nonprofit and that's something many people don't realize that it's a, it's a nonprofit and a, a non-compensated board of directors that are overseeing this incredible institution for Philadelphia. And so um, our motives are different. You know, I'm not here to uh, make shareholders wealthy. I'm here to protect and grow um, and honor the mission of the market. Um, so, I mean, just on basics, there's, you know, much less resources, um, much scrappier uh, you need to be. And um, we have a lot of personalities and a lot of folks that, that we help and that we work with. So if you take 80, uh, roughly 80 family-owned businesses um, times their employees times the millions of customers that we have, um, it's just you have to be flexible and try to always maintain a positive outlook and try to work together with people. Yeah, the demographics are huge. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many interesting facts about the market. Uh, when we spoke earlier, you told me the market was almost 50% led or co-led by women. Pretty exciting. Yes. Um, it opened in January on January 29th in 1893. So you'll be celebrating your 130th anniversary in two months. Another big exciting moment for the market. Are you doing anything special? We are. So we are bringing back our um, usually annual fundraiser, but it's been on, on a hot pandemic hiatus. So party for the market. Um, we are celebrating on February 25th. It's an amazing time where 
ticket holders and sponsors um, come into the market after hours. All the merchants are open. Um, unlimited market yummies and uh, food and beverage and great entertainment. And so we will be celebrating our 130th anniversary this year. The theme is time after time. And it's really celebrating and acknowledging all of the, despite all the ups and downs the world has thrown at the market, the market is here and continues to thrive and continues to serve this incredibly diverse population that is Philadelphia and our visitors. Yeah, even though the the market actually opened in eighteen ninety three, the um, the markets in Philadelphia started in the seventeenth century with William Penn, and they started at the base of a street called High Street, right along the Delaware River, and then all of these open markets were six blocks down the street or in towards Center City. Um, and finally, people were complaining about them, blocking traffic and things. And uh, then the Reading Railroad bought the terminal building and they decided to put it underneath. But in that time, they changed the name of High Street to Market Street because of all the markets. I never knew that. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so you don't have all of the businesses back yet. So you're probably missing a lot of your weekday traffic. We no, are. We are. With when I talk to the merchants, what um, the, especially the you know longtime experienced merchants merchants share with me um, is that they're really missing that commuting um, office worker. Um, you know, folks just are not back in the office, so they're really missing the folks who would run in at the end of the day and grab, you know, the produce and and grab uh, whatever they're making for dinner that night. Um, and so that's an element that we are still missing as many businesses are here in Center City. Um, so we're excited to see some business leaders really stepping forward to encourage people to come back to the office. But, you know, I think the reality is the world has changed. And um, aside from those of us who work in the market that come in every day, I don't, <laughs> most people will not probably ever return to five days a week. Um, mm -hmm. So we've seen just a, a change in demographics and a change in the business patterns, um, but we are really, you know, Center City is definitely feeling much more alive, and I think that's great for everyone. Sure. Well, and I'm sure that the uh, new um, renovations with the Filbert Street mm -hmm. project are going to help a lot with that outside space um, and different programs you, you can have using that space. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I, I'm afraid we're out of time. That flew by. Uh, thank you for all of your time and for doing an outstanding job with the place Philadelphians and visitors hold close to their hearts. It's really, it's really special what you're doing. And, and I know thousands and thousands of people, if not millions, appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And come to the market. Oh, I will. I will. I was actually just there to, two weeks ago. Great. And I took some pictures. <laughs> so for more information about the Reading Terminal Market, its merchants, events taking place, having an event there, how you can support, make a donation, or become a merchant, go to www.readingterminalmarket.org. Sue will be right back to close out the show. Ladies, keep living your dreams. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. The heat is on. In 2010, Philadelphia had a record of 55 days at or over 90 degrees. And those scorchers, they're on the rise. In fact, 10 of the 15 hottest summers occurred in the last two decades. Thank you for always trusting us to keep you informed. 
You're streaming and we're streaming. Get the AccuWeather forecast and severe storm alerts 24-7 on our 6ABC streaming app. Whether you're just getting started, already well on your way, planning for your future, drafting your vision, growing toward greatness, or finding that dreams really can come true. Whatever your next steps are, we'll be right here with you, just like we have been for 150 years. Start here, grow here, stay here. Penn Community Bank, here we grow. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The following is a real testimonial from the father of a young injured victim. I didn't think she was going to make it. Major Perry's daughter was the victim of a horrific accident caused by someone else's negligence. If you don't find the right counselor, law firm that you're looking for, you will get lost in the wilderness. Badly injured? Call the Fritz and Bianculli Law Firm at 215-458-2222 and find out why they say, we got this. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. The big story on Action News tonight. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Welcome back. That is it for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to Katiri for doing such a great job producing the show. And thank you to all of our sponsors for their contributions and their segments this week. Next week, I'll be interviewing Maury Tidepour. Maury is a negotiation expert and entrepreneur from Washington, D.C. Have a very Merry Christmas and have a great week. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. We called him Colonel Claus, a member of our unit who donned the red and white cap, along with the standard-issued boots and camo uniform, and jogged throughout our space in Iraq, chucking mini candy canes in everyone's direction and spouting holiday cheer. You know, seeing a senior officer exchange their typical sternness for silliness gave us all a moment to escape the perpetual tension you learn to live with in a combat zone. The holidays offered us a respite from it all. I hope you have a Colonel Claus-like person, activity, or tradition that brings you joy and puts you in a festive spirit. We all know how many aspects of the holiday season can have the opposite effect of joyful bliss. As we celebrate this wonderful time of year, many of us in the military community are thinking of our brothers and sisters who cannot spend the holidays with their loved ones. We cannot and will not forget that there are tens of thousands of them throughout the world working to keep our country and others safe. 
from all of us at Comcast NBC Universal, we wish you a happy and safe holiday season. We can do a summer party. <laughs> it's the weather. Can we do this show outside or on the roof? <laughs> Weekdays at 9 on 6ABC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.